What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right. Hello, and welcome to a Wednesday afternoon edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. On the line, good friend John Taylor, out there in New York. John, good afternoon. How are you? I'm doing all right. How about yourself? Um, I'm doing better than uh davy martinez's blood pressure this morning yeah that thing must have spiked to like 200 over you know i'm not even able to finish that joke because i don't know what a high, i know a high blood pressure the, the top <laughs> number is high but i don't know what mm. the bottom number should be um so i don't either should we know that is that a thing adults should know i mean i i know it only insofar as if i go to get a physical you know and they it's just a matter of like they say the blood pressure is good. I'm not going to ask specifically. I'm just like, okay, great. Then I don't have to think about this anymore. Run the numbers. Let me know. I need to know what the actual the data is. I need to compare it to my last physical. Yeah, no, that's not something I think I'll ever. Um, that's I. I don't think that's ever going to happen for me. I, I don't think it's it's in my wheelhouse. Yeah, that's uh, not really something. It's it's just something. Where it's like it's I I will learn it if I need to learn learn it. Yeah, not not for us. We're uh, we're sports guys, John, and uh, yeah. we're more focused on uh, things like Game Seven of the World Series, which is happening Ooh. today. Um, the Nationals blew out the Astros last night, but um, I'm very glad that the Trey Turner stuff did not end up being uh, a deciding factor in this game. Obviously, it sucked, but thankfully, this has not come down to a one run game, or that would have been the takes would have been flying, folks. No, that that would have been a really bad one, especially especially for baseball. And I made I made this point last night online. This has been a really bad month and a really bad World Series for Major League Baseball. It's just been bad news after bad news, bad PR just everywhere, bad optics, scandals, like every everything that has gone wrong can that could conceivably go wrong for Major League Baseball is pretty much um, and during this postseason, but I think especially this World Series, it started with the whole, um, I guess we call it Tobin Gate. I'm sure there's a better way to describe that whole mess. Um, you know, the, the, all the conversation around the juice ball stuff, uh, Trump in game five, which I don't, I don't consider that a scandal necessarily, but I certainly don't think MLB wanted the biggest news story from the World Series after game five to be the president got booed, regardless of well, whether or not. Bro, thinks it was a scandal. Right, I, I'm not, but regardless, like that, that that's not that's not the news they want coming out of the World Series. Is is the is the leader of the country getting booed? Nor is it you know a a front office member of one of the teams just did something awful and then the team won't apologize for it. You know, on yeah. top of everything else with the with the dejuiced ball, the, the the Tyler Skagg stuff, which has weirdly just been kind of buried underneath everything else, and I imagine yeah. is going to come back with some force. The the uh, uh, Rob Drake 
you know, ho- the horrible tweets he sent out, you know, and the last thing they need on top of that is then, especially because this World Series also has not been very good. Game one was good. Uh, last night's game, game six was good. The four games in the middle, really just not quality baseball, you know, the, especially the games in Washington where Houston just never, I don't think they ever trailed at any point in those games. Um, I think they were either so in the lead or the game was baseball. What do you mean? What, what about those four games? No, sorry. Not, not that it's not quality because these are, these are two very good teams. There was just no drama. I, I never felt mm. like there was any really ever any drama, mostly because like I said, the Astros were leading the whole time. I don't think the nationals ever took a lead in the three games they had at home. And they were just, they were just not producing like, especially all the, all the struggles they've had with runners in scoring position, you just never, it always just felt to me like no matter what the Astros lead was, it felt three times bigger. Like the nationals were just incapable of getting back into a game. Um, and the worst thing is, I think is, I, I think this is probably the worst thing is though the Astros put those games away in like the sixth inning or the seventh inning. So there was still game. There was still a fair number of innings left to play. But by that point it was like, well, this is just academic at this point. When one team is up eight to one in the sixth, pretty much it, you know? Um, not that there's an ideal time for the score to reach blowout proportions, but I think, you know, you prefer it to be later in the game. So more people are just kind of tuning out in the middle. Um, but regardless, I don't, I don't think this has been a terribly interesting world series and the TV ratings certainly seem to bear that out. Although granted, you know, TV ratings are a very imprecise way to measure this stuff. Um, but certainly the fact that it's been one of the lower rated world series the last few years, for a variety of reasons, but I think people just aren't particularly interested. The games haven't been particularly dramatic, again, with the exception of game one and then last night. So the last thing MLB needs on top of that is, and I, I made a mistake. I said this was a blown call when I tweeted about it last night. It's not a blown call. It was, by by everyone's measure, it was a call made correctly according to the rules in MLB's very long and very difficult to parse rule book. The problem is that it was that that and that is the problem. It was a it was a judgment call that was theoretically interpreted correctly, but it's nonsense that that was the case. So right. and I think that that's the other thing too. It's it's one thing to blow a call. It's one thing to get a call wrong where it's like, oh, you called the guy safe when he should have been out. But I think it's another thing for the league to have to deal with a judgment call where everyone is just weighing in constantly, being like, well, how is this the case? Like, you know, why is this? Why is this the rule? How is this? Why is this why it's interpreted? That, to me, that almost feels worse in, in a sense, because then it's just a constant back and forth of why is this the rule? How do we change it? Should we change? Like, you know, a, a blown call is almost easier. A blown call is just, just someone screwing up. This is just something where it's like the rule as it stands is incomprehensibly stupid. And even though it was applied correctly, that that's it's ridiculous. It's, it's almost like baseball's equivalent of pass interference. Where it, it is just so subjective, or, or the NFL's catch rule, where it is yeah. so subjective that the debate around it just kind of consumes everything else. And so, yeah, it's obviously a re- not, not just because it was just a bad call in the sense that it wasn't blown, it was just bad. You know, it just should not have happened. It, I think Jeff Passon tweeted something to the effect of where, and a lot of other people too, but Passon's is the first one that jumps to mind. Where exactly is Trey Turner supposed to run right. in that scenario? What, what is he supposed to do? Like, if he'd gone to the outside of the baseline, he would have been called, theoretically, at least for being out of the baseline. You know, where, where like, that, that's the thing. Or it's like, that, if that is the rule, and that's how the rule is interpreted, then the, either the rule needs to be changed or that needs to be put up for review. And probably better the former than the latter, because I, I generally, or gen, or, yeah, generally don't like, uh, I generally don't like the idea of, of judgment calls being subject to review because then that just that just basically turns it into a legal argument. 
You know, at that it point, you're parsing since the game, which is right. Uh, and, that, and that's and not that's what you want right thing. now. No. And that's the other thing that that replay was handled so poorly and just how long it took. I mean, I've always been of the opinion. I, I think replay is a good thing in moderation in that one. It shouldn't be used for judgment calls. Like I think, I mean, it's obviously a different thing, but I think the NFL doing uh, reviews for, for pass interference, just it's just silly. Like right. you, you can't, you just can't pick over that kind of stuff. Two, I think there should be a limit as to what can be reviewable. And it hasn't come up, thankfully, this postseason. But the extremely ticky-tack, um, you know, hand coming off a base on a stolen base attempt or whatever, I hate that. That's not what, that's not what replay is for. You know, that, that's using replay to, to just litigate, basically, as opposed to correct, you know, obvious mistakes. And I think there should be a time limit. If you cannot, if the, um, if the replay umpire cannot determine whether or not a call should be overturned within... 60 to 90 seconds of looking at the footage, then the call stands. Because what what are you going to see past that past a minute and a half that's going to change your mind all of a sudden? That that should be more than enough time to see every angle of the play, or at least the conclusive angle of the play, to determine yes, this call stands or this call is overturned. Um, and I, and I think that's just, I mean, I think that's just the best way for replay to work. Because again, replay is supposed to be correcting the things that are obviously wrong. You know, out safe calls, fair foul calls. You know. It's not to, to kind of parse the game down to the molecular level to try to determine, well, is this guy like, you know, what exactly? It, it, it turns it into, I think, the NFL's catch rule. It's what is a catch? It's not the point. The point is just to determine, like, is this call right or wrong? And, you know, it shouldn't take more than a minute to figure that out. So, yeah, def- definitely a good thing for Major League Baseball that that call did not end up um, – determining the outcome of the game because i think they're you know i mean could think about that think about the astros celebrating on the field to win the world series while you have the nationals screaming their heads off at the umpires filing a protest and then that that is the dominant game that is the dominant story coming out of the game it's not the astros winning the world series it's not the end of the season it's mlb's umpires screwed up so badly that they basically handed a world series to another team it's not good um I, I'm just already thinking about what the possibilities are tonight, right? Like, what could what could happen? Like, what are we? I just feel like something's gonna happen tonight, right? Like, that's not a great feeling either. Just to kind of know in the back of your mind that this game is gonna be marred by some sort of replay issue or some kind of bat holding by Bregman or some weird play. Like, it just it seems like it's happening more and more. And now, um, with with replay, I just. I don't know. Did you care at all about Bregman? Because Mike Napoli did, I saw today. Oh, uh, no. Not, and, that's, and that's kind of the other stupid thing. is like The two big stories coming out of that game are this blown call and yet another nonsense round of respect the game like discourse. Where it's like, who cares? He, he apologized. He did. And like I understand why. Because if A.J. Hinch actually is like upset about it, then yeah, you're... I mean, although granted, Juan Soto didn't apologize and David Martinez was upset about it, but I... I Whatever. Soto, Soto is very clearly someone who doesn't care at all what other mm-hmm. people think of him, which is very refreshing. Um, I, I mean, I can understand this thing. I can understand each team being annoyed by what, the, uh, by what Bregman and Soto did. I can totally get that. For, for as much as it's like, for as much as I'm always on the side of like, let guys bat flip, let them scream after a strike, I'll let them do whatever they want, who cares? I can understand if you're on the opposing side, you don't want that. You know, you don't want to get I don't want to call it shown up, but you don't want a dude celebrating in your face. Nobody wants that. You know, if you're playing a game, you don't want to have some dude like 
rubbing it in that they're like, you know, that they whooped on you. So I can understand like, you know, the Nationals or Davey Martinez being upset. I can understand the Astros or AJ Hinch being upset. You know, I can understand the idea of being upset that this kind of stuff like distracts from the actual game. And it's like, it's the World Series, like, you know, focus up. But like, I, I mean, I, I'm, I guess I am just glad, though, that the discourse or the discourse that the the debate around it didn't reach a point where like, because the thing, it, it is fine to be upset about it. Just don't take it out by like throwing at people. That's the stupid part to me. You want to be mad, be mad. And then guess what? You can get back by doing what Soto did. That's a way cooler way to get back at someone is by just like doing the same celebration back to them. Just be petty about it, but don't be like, you know, violent. But I mean, I, I get why Bregman felt like he had to apologize if he feels like, you know, pe- if he feels like his act was interpreted as, hey, this guy doesn't care about um, what's going on on the field. He just wants to show off and, and be whatever. I don't agree with that. I don't think I don't think really that they're. I mean, there are certainly some fans who might see it that way. I I did not see it that way. It's just like the World Series. He's he's excited. He just hit a home run that very well could have won the Astros the World Series. Like I'd be yeah. I'd be crazy about it too. But like right. I I can get why he apologized. But it is just kind of silly that this discourse just keeps happening. And that you know we've we've been stupider. And I don't think people are actually upset. I don't think Mike Napoli was literally was on the edge of his seat, just like oh. Ugh. No, I think I think it's probably more of a it's probably more of a reflexive like oh this guy, and it probably yeah. that feeling probably went away after like thirty seconds, you know. Yeah. But like, I, I think to me it's just like it's like it is we've we've been going over this. Like, I think especially these discussions have been happening in earnest for the last few years now, the last few seasons. Like with with regularity, this pops up over and over again. This this, this discussion of like respecting the game and celebrate and all that stuff. You know, to the point where MLB has like made it—they've made it a damn like marketing thing to be like, no, it's yeah. cool. The, the kids can do what they want. It's cool. That—that's what we want. Although, obviously, what the league wants and what you know some of its players want, and, and certainly what some of its fans want, are not always in agreement. But yeah. it, it's just wild to me that even though MLB has made a point of being like, no, let the kids play, let them be loud, or whatever the the latest slogan is it's still a discussion that ha- that keeps happening. And it's like, when, when is this just going to change? Because this isn't, this isn't even an example of like, you know, like the, to take a one from the past, like the whole Brian McCann, Jose Fernandez dust up from like four years ago or whatever, where that was like old school guy versus new school dude. Bregman is like 25 years old. He, yeah. He's not the old guard, you know? And if anything, if anything, what surprised me about Bregman apologizing is he is known for being one of those like in your face, like, personality driven like i'm gonna celebrate and that's just who i am he's in the the latest ad i think right the one where where the guys are are are, um i guess photoshopped isn't the right word but where they're put into the footage from the old world series right he's Uh, in it yeah so he's like he is he is being marketed as part of that new generation that's all like we play loud and then he has to come out and say well i played a little too loud And it's like no man just do whatever you want like the thing, be nobody like threw at you. Yeah, be like Juan Soto. That's the thing. Like, be like Juan Soto. Be like Ronald Acuna. Just, I think there's a difference, and there is definitely a difference. If you get on Twitter between... and you see the the disconnect between the people who are celebrating and love the Soto stuff, the Acuna stuff, and then the people fifty and up um, that pretend to be outraged. But guess what? Those people are still going to watch. That's the thing. Is like baseball needs to stop catering to people that are already going to be watching these games year in year is out. It... Uh, they are still going to watch, just, and to me, it, it, it always just 
it always just comes off as performative too. Where it's like, oh, I'm right. mad about this. Like, are you really mad about this? No. So much else going on in this world. Absolutely. Like, what are you mad about, really? And to me, it's like there's a there's a difference between like you, like pimping a home run and like having a having basically a double turned into a single because you admired it too much. That's like if I can understand being mad at that if you're a manager or a teammate or something. And I'm not. I don't recall exactly what the whole thing with Acuna was or how much of that was was the case. But like, I, I can understand being mad about that. But in the case of something like the Bregman thing, just carrying a bat on a no doubt home run, who cares, man? Who cares ultimately? And I, but people and need I to stop engaging in these conversations where it's like, oh, maybe is it like no, just stop. Like the way to get rid, of, get past this is to stop making a big deal about it either way. Like just yeah. stop talking about it, stop mentioning it, make normalize it. The only way you're going to normalize it if you is if you stop having these discussions every day. And I think this is why I found it weird that Bregman even apologized because it's like he is one of those guys who's like, no, I'm going to. I'm going to play loud. So I, I, I found it strange he even brought it back up. But I guess that's, I mean, there's also like, for all these guys with their whole play loud stuff, they also are, are all baseball players and they all are brought up in that code of conduct where it's like play hard and like don't, you know, don't be a showboat or whatever. And I think that's, even for a guy like Bregman, I think that probably is a hard thing to like reject because baseball is just culturally is just so much about that, you know, the, the collective over the individual um, that there's just, even those displays and then cause you have to imagine too. I don't, I don't know how much Bregman planned that his little back carry thing. I don't know if that was just spur of the moment or if he'd been thinking about it, but it's it just like, know, it was euphoria. I think he just, I think sometimes it's a natural thing, a reflex where you didn't know. I mean, we've all been there, right? Where you've reacted in a way that surprised you, that caught you off guard, that um, you're not thinking about it. It's just a subconscious thing. And I, I could see that in that kind of high stakes, high, energy moment to just not even realize what you're doing like i, I think that's yeah very I mean, nat- it's just who he was and that's how he reacted yeah and i think that's i think that's the kind of war that goes on inside a lot of these players these things that just come out when they do when in these moments of extreme like you know emotional whatever and with all the adrenaline flowing and then they look back on it afterward it's like oh i may have like i i probably would not have done that if i had been like thinking and it's like, then yeah. that's fine. But I can also understand that, like, within the game itself, like, that is a battle that I think players are fighting, I think, a, in a kind of more open way because there is that, there is, I think there is that encouragement on both sides to be, you know, to be, you know, you can be loud and you can be flamboyant and you can be celebratory, but you also have to be respectful. And it's like, well, how do you, where's, where's the middle ground? Where is the balance right. there? And I think, I think Bregman coming out and apologizing is, is his, sense of feeling like i was on too much to one side than the other whereas a lot of people probably like no man you were fine like who cares like nobody's nobody's Just gonna remember it's no, not like exactly it, it, no one it's not like cares. it's not like max scherzer's gonna throw at him i mean obviously not because it's been game seven but it's not like when the nationals and astros play each other next year i assume they're going to um it's not like you know whoever's on the mound for the nationals is going to carry that over and plunk him and same with the astros with soto i unless something crazy happens tonight in terms of like, you know, bat flipping or whatever, I, I really don't see how this carries over for another, you know, six plus months just because somebody carried a bat and lots of yeah. all this was funny. Like that was really funny what both of them did. And that's, that really should be the thing that matters the most. And I think obviously that's why MLB is so gung ho on this, like let the kids play thing, because those are the things that go viral. 
Those are the things that draw yes. in the young people and that they love. And if, uh, and if like some, like some older dude doesn't care for it, well, like you said, they're going to be watching anyway. They're going to keep watching. You already have them. And this is something I would just drill into Manfred. I'd be like, guy, you've got the older generation. They are going to keep watching. Don't buy into their bullshit. They are going to keep watching regardless of how many times Acuna, Soto, Bregman do their thing. Guess what? It's going to be a momentary thing where they like might roll their eyes or whatever. But guess what? They're still watching the four and a half hour game. The people that you yeah, need like, to be figuring else? out how to get are the younger people. You need to be thinking about, oh, how do we get the Odell Beckham fans? How do we get those kids in? And that's like that's who you need to be focusing on, not the people that you've already won over for a hundred years. Just yeah, it's like what else? What else? What else are they going to be watching? You know, yes. that's that's the kind of the thing. It's like, what are they just going to stop being baseball fans? Oh, the other thing is, like, if they want to stop being baseball fans, fine. Like, go go target younger people anyway. That's the future. It's literally the future. Right. Why do you so desperately want to hold on to these older dudes who don't like anything as yes. opposed to these young people who are, you know, open to whatever? You could be but... excited about your product and you don't have guys who are just negative about the product and where it's going and everything else. Like, you don't, that's just a, why would you want those people representing your, your brand? I just, I don't, I don't understand it. It's it's certainly something. I mean, it does seem like MLB. I mean, at the very least, their 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 public face now is you know the whole like yes, young players good, you know, which is cool. And it's I think it is just a matter of you know the 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 further the game goes, and the more players there are who are guys like Soto who are just like whatever, man, I'm just doing it because I because I like it, you know. And I think ultimately, like you know, a guy like Bregman might be the kind of ideal for the game going forward anyway because he's. I think he's someone who is trying, like I said, to find that balance. And yeah. I think the longer, the the more time goes on and the kind of the less of a conversation this becomes, because inevitably I feel like people have to stop caring about it. The more players are going to, the more players are going to feel like, you know what? It's okay to do this. It's, you know, shit's fine. Like, you know, they'll, they'll find that balance. And I think it's going to be a balance that's tilted more toward you know, the celebratory aspects and the being excited, then it is going to be like apologizing for doing something innocuous. Yeah. I just, I'm ready to move on from this part of it. I'd rather just talk about baseball and talk about just the normal, normal things that other sports do. Like these are not things that people are talking about in the NBA and NFL stuff. Like it's just, it's not the conversation. The conversation is the games and the players and the performances and everything else. And baseball's got to get past this at some point. Um, Is this, how, how would you explain I know you tweeted about this a little bit, but how would you explain uh, the ratings dipping um, for this World Series in particular? I mean, I think there are plenty of reasons. I think just to start, like, baseball doesn't get the same ratings it used to because nothing does. Like, every everything on TV has seen its ratings drop because that's just the reality of the era we live in with the internet and streaming television and a billion other entertainment options for people. Like... That, that's just like every sport, every every primetime program, everything. Nothing sees the same ratings it once used to. And that's a, that's nothing is going to change that. That is just literally technology and demographics because it's also including stuff like cord cutting having an effect. And there's nothing MLB can do about that just the same way there's nothing the NFL can do about that or the NBA can do about that or anyone else or, or that Fox or CBS or ABC can do about anything. So that that's just kind of the overarching like, you know, ratings issue. But I think, like, specifically to this series, I think you have, for starters, like, the Nationals and Astros do not have big national fan bases. 
I mean, I don't think there are too many teams that honestly do. I think it's probably just. I was going to say, York. I, I could make, the, I would actually make the case baseball is specific in that nobody has like a big national. No, and anymore. I, I think, I think at this point, it's really just the two New York teams, the Dodgers and the Cubs, just because they have been around forever and they've been the biggest teams forever. Maybe not so much the yeah. Mets, but also because those cities produce a lot of, so to speak, a lot of Cubs fans live all over. Like any Cubs road game, you will always see a huge pocket of Cubs fans. Because every yeah. city in America has people from Chicago in it. Same with New York, same with Los Angeles. You know, but you're right. Like baseball is an extremely regional sport in the in the way that you know the I NBA know so and NFL many are people not. that rode with the Braves all year long and have not watched a baseball game since the Braves got eliminated. I know. A yeah, lot because of people why would they? That. Why would they? Because right. like they only care about the Braves. They don't. It, this isn't something where it's like baseball has. Well, NBA baseball does have a LeBron James. He's named Mike Trout. But obviously, since Mike Trout doesn't have the same kind of national, you know, visibility and appeal, like, nobody, not nobody, maybe they're younger kids, certainly. But nobody, I think, of our generation, or, or certainly older than that, is watching the Angels, is watching Angels baseball just for Mike Trout. Or better said, they are not Angels fans because of Mike Trout. People are Angels fans because they grew up in Los Angeles, in Orange County. Same way, you know, People are people aren't necessarily Red Sox fans because of Mookie Betts. I mean, young kids are, but those are young kids growing up in Boston who are Red Sox fans because they love Mookie Betts, and that's where they're because that's the game they're seeing anyway. That's the only team they're watching because, you know, another part of that is that baseball's national exposure is the Sunday night game of the week on ESPN, a couple games scattered across the week also on ESPN or ESPN two, um, Fox. Fox's kind of baseball imprint has really kind of shrunk. I feel like it used to be way, way bigger when we were younger, um, having the Saturday game of the week. And now it's, you know, I, I almost never notice when a game is on Fox anymore. Um, and then if you, if you have cable or a streaming package that has MLB Network, you get games on there. But you're only watching MLB Network if you're already a baseball fan. Nobody is just kind of casually tuning into MLB Network to catch a, a midweek Cardinals-Pirates game. So... I mean, that's, that's kind of the other thing is baseball doesn't have that same kind of national exposure that the NFL and the NBA do. So you're not seeing the sport on a more regular level. And like you said, if you're a Braves fan, you only care about the Braves. You're not watching this Astros Nationals World Series unless you're a really big just general baseball fan. But if you're just like a casual Braves fan who only tunes in for that team, what are you going to be watching for? You know, it's not like the Super Bowl. And I think obviously that's, that's also part of it, too, is like, you know, the Super Bowl obviously gets enormous ratings. It's one It's one event. For three hours where even casual fans can watch because it's just, you know, it's just a football game and where people tune in for commercials and people have parties. Nobody does parties for the World Series. You know, there are no there. there no one's going to like rate the commercials for the World Series, except for the ones that are the most annoying because we've seen them a million times by now. Um, I think your point and certainly is true in that if it was one game, I think you would see that it's just it's a series. So you can't do it. And like and like certainly like the NBA finals. Um, I think do better than that, but that's because the NBA Finals invariably star the best teams featuring the best players who are worldwide superstars. Like that's it's just different. So yeah. I mean, and that that is just that is just a thing, not necessarily unique to baseball. I think the I think the NHL has a similar kind of problem, but obviously on a much bigger scale because the NHL is a much smaller product. But I think the ratings. So even like the ratings are down because of things that are completely out of MLB's control, like cord cutting and streaming services and just the way things operate now. And it's also kind of out of their control because that's just how baseball is consumed. But I think even just specifically, like I said, the Nats and Astros don't really have a you know national fan base. They're they're very hyper regional teams. 
there's no rivalry to speak of between these two teams. There's no history. There's no nothing between them that would kind of, you know, interest a casual fan. Like if this had been Yankees Dodgers, I think you might've gotten a few more people tuning in because you can sell that history of like, you know, these ancient rivals who used to play in the same city and now they're, you know, clashing again and it's the East coast versus West coast and the two biggest spenders. There are a lot of really easy storylines. I think the only kind of storyline that would have grabbed people for Astros nationals that you could kind of sell easily was, you know, aces versus aces, you know, Verlander versus Scherzer, Strasburg versus Cole. And that, that's still, that's kind of more in a, like a, of an actual already established baseball fan level. Because if you're not a baseball fan or if you're not a hardcore baseball fan, if you're just kind of casual, you probably don't know who any of those guys are beyond maybe Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer. You know, those are not household names. Steven Strasburg, for as good as he is, is not a household name, nor is Garrett Cole, maybe Zach Brady. Not even Anthony Rendon, not Juan Soto. Like, the only player I think most, like, casual fans know on the Astros is probably Jose Altuve because he's tiny. Yeah. Like beyond that, like George George Springer, maybe not even Bregman. I don't think. No, like, definitely not. You're, you're talking you're talking about guys who are not like, and I think this would have been the case. Like, there. I mean, there. Each team, each good team, I think, really only has like two or three guys max who a casual fan could probably identify. Like the Yankees have Aaron Judge, the Red Sox have Mookie Betts. Um, I don't think Acuna is probably there for the Braves yet, but maybe he's getting there. I don't know. I think he is. Um, I, I would argue like, Acuna is there now. The Dodgers have Kershaw, like, but it's it's limited. Yeah. You know, it's it's not the same way where you can any casual NBA fan could name everyone on the Warriors, or at least everyone in the Warriors starting lineup, or knows yeah. that Anthony Davis and LeBron James are playing for the Lakers. Like, it, it's just not the same. So I think there's that that this was just kind of a hard series to market to casual fans because there's no rivalry, mm-hmm. there's no history, and there's no easy storyline. Um, and I think too, it's just. And then some of this is just kind of on-field stuff. Like I said, the games just haven't been terribly interesting. So I think people haven't really been paying all that much attention. Um, I, I don't know how much the Astros Taubman scandal has kind of played a part, but I know that was obviously all over the news and that's not something MLB wanted in the least is for the focus to be on that. But it, I think it probably did have an effect, even if it was small. And I think there generally just is the problem that kind of affects the game on a general level. It's the games are very long. You know, the, the first first pitch for these games hasn't been until, what, 8-10, 8-15, somewhere in that general vicinity. The best-case scenario is that that game is over sometime around 11-30. That's really late, even for a weekend. And I know that's, that's the other thing. Like, three of these games have been Friday – or two of these games have been Friday, Saturday. So, theoretically, it's like, hey, you can – you know, you don't have to up early tomorrow. But it's like, well, you don't. But it's also like people want to do stuff on the weekend. They don't want to be sitting on their couch in front of their TV until 11-30 and then be like, okay, now what? It's it's hard to market a sport, I think, or it's hard to get people to tune into a sport that is going to just, you know, that you have to tell people, okay, block out three and a half hours on a weeknight starting at 8 p.m. for games that are not going to be terribly interesting and where you have no, and most of you have no rooting interest and you don't really know who's playing. And that, that's just kind of a, that's a tough sell, I think. Um I mean, look, the ratings, I think, would have been better if it had been, like, Yankees-Dodgers or something. And also, I, I forgot to mention that another thing, too, I think, is that the Astros are kind of a known product at this point. This is their second World Series in three years. This is the, you know, they've been in the, the ALCS three straight years. Like, I think, like, maybe casual baseball fans aren't as familiar with them, but I think hardcore baseball fans are like, no, we, we get it. We've seen the Astros. We're, we're, we 
they are. And I also do think for hardcore baseball fans, I don't think that many people like the Astros. I don't think they're a villain. I don't think they're a villain team. I don't think they're a heel team, but they certainly are not a likable team. I don't think for most people, because I think a lot of people just, when they think of the Astros, I think they, I think what comes to mind is probably some of the cheating stuff. Yeah. Um, And then certainly again, this Taubman stuff probably did not help in that regard. So I, I, I just think a lot of people like the Astros and I don't think most people care about the nationals. I don't think, I mean, that's a team that's only existed for 14 years and Mm. You know, it's it's not a team that's ever really done anything noteworthy up until this point, except for having Bryce Harper. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, like, MLB I would argue between... it actually. Can we say that if he was around for this, that I think ratings would be better and there would be more sure. interest. Sure, I, I should have. I, sh- I should have mentioned that that Harper is probably the closest the game comes to having its own LeBron type. And I guess the yeah. irony here is like is, is not just like you said, like the ratings would be better if he were still national but that MLB is obviously not going to lean into a storyline of, Hey, the, the best player, one of the best players in the game left his team and now they're better. Like they don't, they don't right. want that to be a story because that just makes the whole thing look really weird and also really petty. So yeah, I think if Harper was still in the nationals, this would probably be doing better ratings. I don't know how much better, but I think people would tune in because it is Harper. Yeah. I, I just think there are a lot of, there are a lot of just like systemic reasons that the ratings are down. And then there are a lot of specific reasons. And I don't really think that there's much MLB can do to change that. I think obviously the ratings for tonight will be good because it's a game seven and those are always fun. But I, I also do think it's something MLB can't really be all that worried about because a lot of it's stuff out of their control. And some of it is just the matchup. I think they just kind of hardcore fans, I think, so to, so to speak, locked out with the matchup because like I said, it's two really great pitching staffs and two really good teams. But I think if MLB was looking to kind of hook casual fans, I think that this is just not the right matchup for them. This is this is kind of one of those like baseball wonk matchups, whereas something like I mean Yankees Dodgers also would have been that, but Yankees Dodgers would have come with way easier storylines to sell and two enormous media markets. Even though I think people are probably pretty tired of seeing the Yankees and the Dodgers generally. The Pirates. They finally fired Neil Huntington after 35 years um, with the Pirates. Clint Hurdle dismissed as well. 69 wins this year, last in the NL Central. Um, changes are coming. They have a new COO, the former Penguin CEO, who left to go work for the Islanders and went back home. So they're restructuring everything in that front office. Um, it's kind of weird because there was a really good book. Um, was it Travis Shawcheck? who wrote it on uh, Big Data Baseball and that kind of did, went, did a deep dive in Huntington and Hurdle and their relationship and all that kind of stuff. And I I don't know. I was always very fascinated by those two and how it all came together. And um, I don't... I, it's hard for me to put a lot on what they did. Obviously, Huntington had his misses with the Chris Archer thing being a big one. Um, but I, I don't know. Like, the Pirates are interesting because I don't know how to assess organizations like that in terms of their pseudo contention like how much of it was huntington kind of strapped by ownership and how much of it was just his um ideology and his actual jamming that put them in this position now i it it's tough firing hurdle i don't think really changes anything and he seems like a pretty solid manager long term and i'm gonna miss the purple hurdle uh that we'll never see in a pirate's uniform again but when you saw huntington was um let go by the Pittsburgh Pirates, what was your uh, immediate response? Like you said, I, it's kind of hard to tell where kind of where the buck stops in Pittsburgh because I mean Neil Huntington like has done line. some good. Yeah, that's 
Oh, I didn't even realize I did that. Wow, good job, mate. Um, because like you said, like he's he's done some good things in Pittsburgh. I think he's he's made the most out of kind of shopping around in the bargain bin. Um, and certainly he was the architect of those Pittsburgh teams about five years ago that became you know they were really really good. Um, and almost you know really you know I think there was the best one of those was the one that won ninety seven teams, but then ran straight into Jake Arrieta in the wild card game. And that's when it, when the history of those pirate teams is written. I think a lot probably should be noted of the sheer sheer bad luck that they ran into Madison Bumgarner in 2014 and Arietta in 2016. I believe it was. Um, they just ran into two pitchers at the absolute peak of their powers in a, in, in a game basically designed to reward pitchers who were at the peak of their powers in the wild card game. Um, and then in between they had that, they beat the Reds, but then lost to the Cardinals in the division series. And that was that. So he, he obviously did some good things. They drafted well. Uh, they made, you know, they made some smart low key signings. But I think, like you said, too, there was, you know, the, the Chris Archer trade was an open disaster. The Garrett Cole trade was a disaster. You know, they, they really didn't seem to know how to maximize a player's ability. I know there was all that talk earlier about Ray Searage being this kind of pitching pitcher whisperer, this guru who could kind of fix guys. But then you see kind of the results, the kind of middling results they got out of Cole, out of Jamison Tyon before he got hurt, out of Tyler Glass now before they traded him, out of you know, a number of other guys who just didn't really seem to reach their potential. Like Mitch Keller is another one where, you know, I really hope that the Pirates actually get smart so that they don't waste him too. Um, and I think that obviously has to fall on Huntington because, it, you know, he's the one putting together the coaching staff. He's the one overseeing, you know, how the, how the team uses data and analytics and all that kind of fun stuff. And the fact that they weren't getting those results is obviously part and parcel of why he's out of a job. But like you said, how much of this too is the fact that Bob Nutting refuses to spend? You know, that the Pirates routinely run one of the lowest payrolls in the game, despite the fact that nutting is worth a billion dollars. Um, you know, for as, for as much as I bring up, like, he, you know, Huntington helped put together that 97-win Pirates team, that Pirates team also did nothing in free agency and at the trade deadline to make themselves better. And there were opportunities there. I mean, I think that was, I believe, that if that was 2016, I don't recall what the deadline looked like at that year or what the offseason looked like in terms of free agents, but there was, I'm almost certain, you know, if the Pirates wanted to get serious and wanted to say, hey, we have a window open right now. We have all these great players. A lot of them are going to be around for a bit, you know, like, like, like McCutcheon and Cole and then everyone else. We, we, this is our time to strike, the same way that the Royals kind of did in 2015 when they decided, hey, this is our window, this is our opportunity, we have to do something, and they went and got Johnny Cueto and Ben Zobris. The Pirates never did that, and I don't know how much of that is Huntington. I don't know how much is Nutting. I'm going to guess it's mostly the latter because he just seems like a wildly huge cheapskate. But so that just makes it kind of hard to judge exactly how Huntington did his job. But I think if I think if nothing else, you can focus on the fact that the Pirates struggled so badly at player development at the major league level, and and not just pitching too. I mean, I think you see Gregory Polanco, though injuries have had a big big role in, in kind of lowering his ceiling. But the fact that he really hasn't uh, produced as expected. Um, they really just don't seem adept at turning their prospects into productive major leaguers, or at least they haven't in the last few years. Like Brian Reynolds was a, he was good this year, but I think that's, man, that was really their only success story that I can think of. And I guess Especially uh, before the, every the rotation is, uh, yeah, good. no. And I think Felipe Vasquez was another success story, but he certainly is not a thing that they want to think about anymore. So yeah. it's, I, I think that at the very least, that's, 
And maybe there is something there where Nutting refuses to spend to improve the, the analytics department, or improve the R&D department, or to hire more, or whatever it is. You know, I don't know, because I obviously don't know the inner workings of the Pirates. But I think it is fair to say that that is an area that the Pirates have fallen down on. The Cole and Archer trades are really, you know, immense proof of that. And I think it's fair to say that that is something Huntington could not figure out. And that for that reason, at the very least, like, yeah, I can understand why he was fired. Um, and I think you said with Hurdle, too, I don't think that really, I mean, I think Hurdle got the ax because one, I don't think, I don't think it makes sense ever to hire, if you know you're going to get rid of your general manager to leave a manager there, I think you just need a, a clean start for both. And two, given the way the Pirates clubhouse seemed to implode in the second half and given how poorly they played in the second half, I don't really think you could make any argument for keeping Hurdle. Um, I think it was one of those things where it was really just a, clearly whatever you're saying and doing is not working, so we need to change things. But, you know, we'll see. I, I, I don't really have much faith that the Pirates will find the right person, at least in terms of... I sh, I sh, let me rephrase that. We'll have some names might, for you. Oh, okay, good. This will be fun. Here, uh, Jason Mackey, uh, the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, has the three names that he has heard are in play for this, uh, okay. uh, this role. Tony LaCava, ex-Blue Jays. Right. Mark Del Piano with the Yankees. Okay. And Matt Arnold with the Brewers. Okay, I assume all of those guys are AGMs or directors of player development. Yeah. Okay, so that's not surprising. That's what everyone targets in a GM search. So I imagine one of those guys will probably get it, and we'll probably talk a lot about probably talk a lot about the same stuff Heim Bloom was talking about when the Red Sox introduced him: long-term sustainability, you know, competitive, whatever, you know, whatever all the all the new financial buzzwords are for being a general manager slash president mm-hmm. of baseball operations. So I don't. Whoever the Pirates hire, I think, is, will be a very smart young man who, you know, who understands, you know, baseball. I just don't have any faith that Bob Nutting will give this general manager the tools to improve the team beyond just saying get better at at stats. Because we're not going to. Because one thing I, I definitely took notice of, of when you know, because I read that that the quotes he gave uh, that Nutting gave to Mackey and other reporters you know, that he talked a lot about wanting to improve from within and wanting to improve the player development and all that fun stuff. But there was never any mention of, oh, and we'll get more active in free agency and bring in quality players. It's like, no, you're, the Pirates have that problem that a lot of other teams kind of residing in that bottom half of the payroll pool kind of run into, which is since they never want to get involved in free agency and since they never want to spend, all the pressure is on the player development side to kind of turn the prospects into gold and to nail all the little yeah. trades for, and that's just all that you're basically just trying to build a team with one hand tied behind your back, which is, it, it's just not a feasible structure. Like you can't just ignore free agency. That's where you get established stars, or at least it used to be. And it still is. I mean, free agency this year, you can go get Garrett Cole or Anthony Rendon. You know, you can get an MVP caliber player for just money. That takes that's really hard to develop from within, or at least develop from within, like that easily. So as long as the pirates, as long as you have Nutting basically not committing to spending, and certainly nothing he said sounded like any commitment to, to spend more. If anything, he oh, just kept. Making, if anything, he just kept saying it's like no because of our economic system or whatever, and it's like that that's just meaningless buzzword speak for we're not going to spend more. As long as that's the case, I really ha- don't have much faith that the Pirates are going to improve substantially. I think for as long as Nutting owns the team, or for as long as he refuses to spend, unless he goes, you know, unless he gets to be like 80 years old and just goes full Mike Illich, like I, I think they're always going to be one of those teams that just kind of hovers in that 70 to 81 win kind of dead zone. 
because they're not, they just, they are not good enough or they are not, unless they hire someone who is really, truly some kind of genius, they are not the Rays. You know, they are not the team that is so far ahead in terms of like being on the analytics curve that they can just kind of create a super team on a, on a, on a, on a Marlins budget. That's really hard. That's really, really, really hard. And I don't really have a lot of faith that the pirates can do that. Not so much because of whoever they hire, but just because it's, it's just really tough. And I think that's something that the Rays' success, I think the same way that the Astros and the Cubs success in turning their kind of tanking teams into contenders has made everyone think, Oh, tanking is just an easy guaranteed way to, to, you know, go from bad to good. I think the Rays have kind of created a similar feel in terms of like, oh, it's easy to build a, a self-sustaining good team on the cheap. Look at the Rays. And it's like, no, man, the Rays are both really smart. They're both, they're really smart. They're really good. And they're really lucky. Like you have to nail all three of those to be the Rays. Most teams can't do that because even if you're really smart and even if you're really good, luck isn't always on your side. And I think that's something that teams don't really I think for as much as we were kind of seeing teams emulate that kind of old Astros Cubs model, which you also can't do anymore because the league has just changed fundamentally in a lot of different ways. I wouldn't be surprised if now the whole, it's a new hotness now is either what the Red Sox are doing, which is basically kind of emulating Andrew Friedman and the Dodgers and just, you know, um, kind of the Rays, but with a bigger budget or just trying to be the Rays, like what I imagine the Pirates are going to do, which is we're just going to try to build a contender at $80 million or whatever it is, which is really hard. And so I think that's going to be, I think that, that's a large part of why I just don't have any faith that whatever the Pirates do, and I'm, I'm sure they'll, you know, they'll, they'll obviously hire a new GM and a new manager, and there'll be a lot of, you know, talk before, the season, before next season about the new look Pirates or whatever. I just don't have a lot of faith it's going to translate into anything more than like 75 wins in last place. So... Well, they'll always have the shirts that got removed um, at a Pirates home game. It was a spin nutting, wind nutting that a yeah, like uh, fan was forced to remove. I, I like that. I also don't like that they removed him for that. Um, and also, um, Nutting said yesterday that the team has to do a better job of explaining their financial limitations. So things are looking up in Pittsburgh when that's the highlight of your, your winners. How to explain not spending. Um, last thing, the Dodgers, a team that is built on um just somehow putting together just this incredible player development uh unit where they just keep putting out guys year after year uh lux being the latest example um while they're still spending a pretty healthy amount of money um but they are never a team that goes big fish hunting they were never really in on machado harper those kind of guys and i remember uh, I've talked with Bill Plunkett of those he register uh, several times in the podcast now, and this is something that he stresses is that as much as people like to talk about Friedman, the Dodgers finally pulling the trigger on something big and that they do have the prospect capital to do something big, that it just, they, they're they not going to do that. Like Friedman is just not going to go down that rabbit hole. And then you see the Lindor stuff and you're like, huh, is this kind of like that middle ground of not spending the 15 years, whatever um, X amount of money um, for Rendon or whoever um, that Lindor only having a couple more years until he's a free agent, just doing that now while your window is still there and um, kind of pseudo going all in and big game hunting. I, I do think it's, it's interesting. So John Morosi of MLB.com is reporting that the Dodgers are very much interested in engaging a trade for Lindor this offseason. We know how the Indians feel about Lindor. 
it would not be surprising at all, I think, to see him moved, especially after the dust settles with Rendon and the rest of the free agents this winter. Um, do you think that's a do you think a Lindor trade is a realistic proposition for the way the Dodgers have operated in years past? Do you think just because of the way they were eliminated this round in the playoffs that they will be a little bit more aggressive um, in how they um, fix this roster? I mean, and I say fix loosely because it's still a team that won 106 games this year, but um, I don't know. I think it's fascinating. I think it's something that I could see as more realistic than like a Rendon type or something like that. Yeah, it's it's interesting because, like you said, this is not the Dodgers don't do the big splashy like because a, a package for Lindor is going to be enormous. Um, it's going to cost a lot, and with good reason because Francisco Lindor is, if not the best shortstop in baseball, definitely top three. Um, it's it's just strange to consider because he and Seager are basically they're under the same amount of team control. Lindor is more expensive yes. because. Um, he made more in his first year of arbitration than Seeger did and will continue to do so. But it, it's, I, it, it's a trade. It's a trade idea. Kind of a hard time kind of figuring out because for the Dodgers, it's like, okay, yes, Lindor is probably an upgrade over Seeger, all things considered, but is he so much of an upgrade that that, that it's worth like, you know, what it's going to cost to get him. Like, like when you, when you look at the Dodgers and kind of what they need for next year, I think, for starters, you you probably have to go to the outfield to begin just because A.J. Pollock has been such kind of a disaster that I, I don't really know that you can feel comfortable with him being in your starting lineup next year. And I know that obviously they have Bellinger. They have, they'll have a healthy Alex Verdugo. You know, they'll, they're happy to, they're happy to platoon Kike Hernandez or whoever else with, with Jock Peterson. Um, but like, if you're the Dodgers, wouldn't you rather go after Mookie Betts, even though he has only, even though he only has, has only the one year of team control left? Or wouldn't you rather, you know, figure out some kind of add some pitching depth, add, you know, get a really for as much as it's like, you know, the Dodgers haven't won a World Series in 30, 32 years now or whatever it is. You know, they, they, they keep missing out. They flamed out in the first round this year. You look at that roster and as good and as good as they've been, what do they really need to add? What what big move? What big splashy move do they really need to make? I know I just brought up bets, but I honestly don't even think they need to do that. You know, this isn't this isn't a team. I think to take another example, like Boston, where I think that they need to do to to really kind of contend with the level like the Astros and the Dodgers and the Yankees. They got to do something big, um, which I don't think they're gonna do. But regardless, whereas with the Dodgers, like you look at who's under contract for next year because their their only major free agent of note is Rich, or they they might lose Rich Hill, they might lose Hyunjin Ryu. I I think at least one of those guys comes back. Um, so they, they would need to add a starter, at least theoretically. But beyond that, I really like I don't I just I guess I just don't really see like yes, again, Lindor is an upgrade over Seeger, but is he so much of an upgrade or enough of an upgrade rather that it's worth kind of giving up what it's gonna cost to get him? I think I'd rather I think I'd rather target something in a different direction. I don't know what that is because I haven't really you know looked at the Dodgers terribly in depth. I mean, maybe this is something where you you know you want to prepare for the future where Justin Turner is you know because Justin Turner's only got one more year under contract and he's a free agent and he's going to be thirty five or thirty six by that point. So you're certainly not going to bring him back. You know, maybe you need to figure out what the future is at third base long term, and maybe that's something where you know maybe you move Lindor over there or something. I don't know. I don't think they would do that, but 
uh, yeah, if I'm the Dodgers, honestly, I think maybe that's the direction I'd rather, you know, kind of put my push my chips into is figuring out, okay, what's out there third base wise, unless unless the idea is to move Lindor over there, which again, I don't think makes any sense at all. You know, I, I think I'd rather cash my chips in for a long-term solution at third base, unless, and I, I, again, I don't know the Dodgers system, you know, off the top of my head. So unless there's an option in there for, for a long-term third baseman, I don't think that's Gavin Lux. I think they're probably just going to plug him in at second base and move Max Muncy just to be the full-time first baseman now that David Freeze is retired. But mm. I or you believe that Justin Turner to first. Or they maybe they move Justin Turner to first, but um, regardless, or yeah, maybe and maybe that's the play. Maybe instead of trading for Lindor, maybe they sign Anthony Rendon and move Turner to first base. I would think that would make yeah. a lot of sense. But regardless, I, I, I kind of have a hard time seeing a Lindor trade happening, if only because it doesn't really address a position of need. It's very much it would very much be a luxury upgrade, and like you said, the Dodgers just don't do that. Every mm-hmm. every acquisition they make, even. The closest I think I've ever seen them get to a luxury upgrade in the last years is you Darvish. And that wasn't so much a luxury upgrade so much as it was, hey, we need an additional starter for the postseason. And Darvish is the best available, and we can get him for a price we, we think is fair. Let's go get him. Lindor, to me, feels like something that would just be, like I said, a luxury. It's like, hey, we can do it, so why not? And it's like, well, I think if I were, I think if I were Andrew Friedman, I'd probably, have, I'd probably have a few other items higher up on my list than swapping a an all-star shortstop for a, for a somewhat better all-star shortstop. Yeah, I um, it's going to be interesting, and I, I do hope, Lind- ultimately, what I really just want is Lindor to get away from Cleveland. That's, that's Well, yeah, I mean, I, I am not against the Indians trading Lindor because they clearly are just not committed to winning with him. So as much as it's going to hurt Indians fans, and I feel bad for them, please put him on a team that's going to win. Like, he deserves that. He deserves a chance. And also just not talk shit about him um, going into the season and not calling him leader and just doing all this other stuff. Um, I Moving on from Brantley for no real reason uh, when they were close. Like, just all kinds of dumb stuff. So I am I'm very much here for a Francisco Lindor trade. Um, but we'll have to see. Um, we'll have to see. So last thing and then we'll go. Uh, who do you have winning tonight? How does this game seven play out? I don't know. I mean, I'm leaning toward Washington just because I, they with Scherzer on the mound, assuming he is fully healthy or close enough to it. I think that's an advantage because I think Granke just has not looked good this postseason. And I just, he doesn't, like, none of his starts have been ones where you're like, oh, he, it was just a couple mistakes. Like, no, he just has not looked good. Um, but it's tough because I, I can see it either being like Scherzer just clamps the Astros down and the Nationals scratch out a few runs and hold on from there or the Astros just blitz him immediately and just like take a big lead and just kind of hold on because they can just, because I think the, the, the real, I don't want to say X factor because I hate that phrase, but the real question mark, I think is how, how much can Garrett Cole give the Astros? If Granke labors through the first three innings, gives up a run or two, just doesn't look like he's got it. When, when, if can AJ Hinch deploy Garrett Cole and for how long? I think that is going to be, that might be the thing that ends up swinging game seven is the availability of Garrett Cole and how many innings he can throw. I can't imagine it would be more than two, but if he can get six outs somewhere in there, or if he can come in and, and, you know, get a few outs in relief of Granky, if Granky's not looking good, that's obviously because the nationals don't have anything like that. The only thing they can do is maybe bring in Patrick Corbin for like an inning. And that's certainly not the same level of, of upgrade, so to speak, that the, that the Astros can do with, with um with Cole. Although I will say I think 
if I, if I had to imagine what Davy Martinez's ideal is, it's six or seven out of Scherzer. If it's six out of Scherzer, you get an inning out of Corbin and then an inning a piece out of Doolittle and Hudson. I don't think he goes to anyone who is not Corbin, Doolittle, or Hudson in this game unless it goes extra innings or Scherzer gets knocked out in like the second. And even then, I think he might be hesitant because I this there is just no and that's that's also going to be a thing for the Nationals that they they don't have any room to use anyone basically other than three pitchers out of their bullpen, whereas the Astros can feel comfortable with you know anywhere from I think five to six guys coming out of there. So that's that's also going to make a difference for them. They that the Nationals really need Scherzer to go at minimum five innings, absolute minimum five innings, ideally six, and in a perfect world, seven plus. I think if, if they can get six to seven innings out of him that are, you know, six to seven good innings out of him, I think it's probably the Nationals game to win. Otherwise, I feel like the Astros have just more depth all over to kind of, because you know, that's the thing in a winner-take-all game, depth is really important just in how many guys you can just throw out there. And I think, like I said, the availability of Cole is going to have a really big impact there too. All right. I, I'm still going to go Astros. I think the best team team wins tonight. So we'll have to see. But um, either way, it's going to be fun. John, always a pleasure talking baseball with you. Is there anything you would like to uh, plug before we get out of here? No, I think, uh, I think I'm all set. Like I said, I got the, the uh, Red Sox essay for the BP annual this year, which should be now that they have a general manager or president of baseball operations yeah. or whatever, whatever Heimblum is. Um, that should at least be an interesting piece on kind of what the next step is for the Red Sox. And like I said, kind of their, their transition into Dodgers East. Um, but aside from that, ben no. Ben Sherrington who? Yeah, Ben Sherrington. She's still hanging out with the Blue Jays, I think. But uh, we shall see. Otherwise, uh, just kind of keeping the lines open and seeing what's out there. All right, John, thank you so much. And I will talk to you soon, buddy. Thanks, Ben. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Introducing Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer. Blending the smooth, creamy nitro taste of Guinness with hints of coffee, chocolate, and caramel. Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer. Your new favorite part of the day. Look for it where Guinness is sold. Must be 21 and over to purchase. Please enjoy responsibly. Diageo Beer Company, New York, New York.